It is UFC Fight 229, Habib versus Connor. Connor taps out in the fourth round. Habib, after getting pulled off of Connor, hears an insult from Connor's teammate. Habib then leaps over the octagonal ring, assaults Connor's teammate, and then a brawl between the two teams break out. But here's a shocker half the world says that Connor and company deserved it. Today on Own the Future, we are going to explore the cultural framework and worldview that explains why Habib assaulted Connor's teammate and why some in the world are actually defending and justifying assault and battery. But most importantly, we are going to talk about what you and I can do to shape and own our futures. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast dialoguing with creatives and entrepreneurs to better understand who we are, the work that we do, and how we will shape and own the future. My name is Lucas Scrobot, SK Robot, and I am your host. And yes, today, today is going to be a polarizing topic for many, but it's a conversation with an exponential impact on global society and culture for generations to come, either for the better or for the worse, depending on what side of uh, history you decide to be on. Now, the Habib versus Connor fight, although this fight is a polarizing topic, it isn't what this episode is truly about. Rather, it is about a widespread worldview that the aftermath of this fight ended up exposing. So a caveat before we begin, I don't follow boxing or fighting or the UFC, the MMA, WWE, or anything of the sort, meaning I am neither a Connor or Habib fan. And as you will find out throughout this episode, I really don't think very highly of either fighter. Neither did I come into this conversation with a long string of biases to color my view on the two fighters. So, the Habib versus Connor fight. What happened? Why did it happen? And why is it important to understanding our world, our worldview, and the future? First, before we confuse the situation between Habib and Connor, we have to remember that these fights are all about money, lots of money. And as they say in boxing, styles make fights meaning that the more drama and more hype and buildup that someone can make around a fight, the more people will watch on pay-per-view and the more money will be made. How much money is being made? Well, millions, millions and millions. For Connor to fight, he got three million and Habib got two million. And that is just the purse from the fight. That's not even considering how much they each got in their pay-per-view deal. So for those of you who didn't follow the fight or the aftermath, what happened? Here's a short version. Connor, who is a big mouth, hot-headed Irishman, challenges Habib to fight. Habib is the lightweight UFC title champion. He's a Russian and a Muslim. In 2018, Connor decides to attack a bus carrying Habib and company with a dolly, throwing the dolly through the window, 
resulting in multiple injuries and Connor in a load of legal trouble, including being arrested, sued, and charged with three counts of assault and one count of criminal mischief. Now, was this a ruse staged by the UFC to create media and attention around this fight, aka make a lot of money, as Habib suspects, or is Connor a violent, hot-headed Irishman? Regardless, his actions were and should be condemned. Even if Connor was just putting on an act to bring some dollar signs in for the fight, there is no justification for assault and criminal activity and endangering people's lives. End of story. Fast forward. Connor continues to insult Habib's family, his country, and his religion in the buildup towards the fight night. He often publicly called Habib a rat and a weasel. It's pretty low, right? Then comes the night of the fight. Connor and Habib step into the octagonal ring, and Habib proceeds to dominate Connor. Connor ends up tapping out in the fourth round, and Habib secures his title as the lightweight champion of the world. And then it happened. Outside the octagonal ring, one of Connor's teammates, Dylan Dennis, cursed and insulted Habib, his religion, and allegedly called him a effing Muslim rat. No small thing. With the cortisol racing, adrenaline shooting through the roof, already from four rounds in the ring, snap. It happened. Habib leaps over the fence and attacks Connor's teammate, Dylan. As the fight begins outside of the ring, two of Habib's teammates jump into the ring, assaulting Conor McGregor. And so it was. Habib's dominating victory was overshadowed by his lack of sportsmanship and lack of self-control. So it begs the question, why did Habib do it? Why, when he just smashed Conor's face in, did he snap lose it, jump a fence, and attack someone, risking everything. Well, this is what Joe Rogan, a UFC commentator, had to say about it on Fox. What Conor McGregor likes to do is provoke. He likes to talk trash. He likes to get people fired up. Khabib is a very respectful guy. He doesn't do any of that. And when it's done to him, he takes it extremely personally. He doesn't think of this as show business. He thinks of this as honor. I mean, this is extreme. He's a very religious man. This is very important to him that he has honor. And when someone disrespects him like that and insults him like that, he's not just going to stand there and take it. He doesn't care if he's the champion. He doesn't care if he loses his green card. He's going to do what he has to do. And That's right. Honor. This is all about honor. I mean, big deal, right? Who really cares? A fighter attacks another fighter outside the ring at a fight. And what's more to be expected? I'm sure many outside of the fighting culture would merely roll their eyes and shrug their shoulders saying, well, what do you expect? And then carry on with more pressing and virtuous matters in the world. But something interesting began to ensue on social media and media platforms across the globe after the fight. That is support and justification for Habib and his teammates' actions. More bluntly put, a company of people were praising, celebrating, justifying, and saying that they were proud 
of Habib's actions, Habib's assault and battery of Connor and company. So why are people supporting this type of violence? Well, you may say they're probably undereducated and impoverished, not very well off, you know, and they skew towards violent behavior. They probably have a rough background, which, you know, I could see how this may for some be the case. But if this was the case, I wouldn't be sitting here taking this time to research and produce this episode and you wouldn't be listening. But the individuals promoting Habib's violence, saying that, quote-unquote, Connor deserved it. Now, when I pressed some people, they would say they're not condoning the violence, but they are saying that they are proud that Habib stood up for his value, family, and religion, saying that they would have done the same thing, a.k.a. they were approving of Habib's action and approving of his violence. Now, these are the same influential, prominent people who on a daily basis promote love, positive energy, positivity, good thoughts, spirituality, meditation, yoga. It's the same crowd. It's an educated, affluent crowd that is supporting Habib's action. This was shocking to me. This was surprising to me. This caused me to be very confused. Something must be off. Something must be missing. Things aren't adding up. What is going on that causes a well-educated segment of society who talk about loving more and kindness and positivity to, in the same moment, cheer assault as the proper and acceptable response to a person mocking one's family, nation, and religion? That is like telling your child, be kind to everyone, love everyone more, meditate and have good energy, but if someone calls you a bad name, punch them hard in the face. So, the question stands, why would well-educated individuals advocate for Habib's actions? To understand Habib's and his supporters' world, we have to understand the cultural worldview of which they operate. That is a honor-shame culture or cultures of honor. So what is a honor-shame culture? Nisbet and Cohen in 1996 said, a culture of honor is a culture in which a person, usually a man, feels obligated to protect his or her reputation by answering insults, affronts, and threats oftentimes through the use of violence. Habib was publicly insulted and must, according to his cultural code, defend his honor. There are many kinds of honor-shame cultures across the globe, and they don't always look the same. Take Japan, for instance. Ritualistic suicide, known as seppuku, dates back to 1180 A.D., where samurais would disembowel themselves in a ritualistic form of suicide to preserve one's honor and family standing in the face of defeat or grave failure. It was not uncommon for the wives even of the shamed samurais to also commit a ritualistic suicide by cutting the arteries in their neck. 
Even though seppuku was outlawed in 1873, you can still see it in Japanese culture. In World War II, when the defeat of the Japanese Empire seemed certain, the fighter pilots resorted to becoming kamikazes, crashing their airplanes into American warships, dying with honor and dignity for their emperor and nation. Even today, Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, and as a culture of honor, honor suicides and suicide exists to absolve oneself of failure and shame. Another region of the world where a culture of honor and shame is quite prevalent um, actually might surprise you. It is the southern United States of America. That's right, America. In 2017 in America, there was 17,284 murders. The most dangerous state to live in per capita was Louisiana, deep in the south of the United States, with 12.4 murders per 100,000 people. The safest state? New Hampshire, in the north, with one murder per 100,000 people. What social psychologists and anthropologists have noted is that most of the homicides in the northern USA are a result of burglaries gone wrong where someone ends up dead. But in the South, many murders are triggered by incidences that could be considered trivial, like a small dispute over a little bit of money or an offensive comment or petty argument. But in cultures of honor, small disputes can quickly escalate into contexts where one's reputation and social status is on the line. Psychologists like McWhitney and Wyatt Brown in their respective studies in 1988 and 1982 wrote that historians and other observers have often noted that in the South, men have had to take action against insults or else lose status before their family and peers. In a study by Fisher in 1989, he noted from an early age, small boys were taught to think much of their own honor and to be active in its defense. Honor in this society means a pride of manhood, masculine outrage, physical strength, and a warrior virtue. Male children were trained to defend their honor without a moment's hesitation, lashing out against their challengers with savage violence. Now, there are many reasons for this culture, as many different anthropologists have studied. They've looked at poverty, high temperature, uh, history of slavery, and these elements do play into the makeup of their culture. And as cultural anthropologists have observed, in herding cultures around the world, they tend to be more approving of certain kinds of violence. Herdsmen must be willing to use force to protect themselves and their property when the law enforcement is inadequate. And the settlers who live in the southern United States, they came primarily from herding economies from the fringes of Britain where lawlessness and clan rule had been present for centuries, as Fisher noted in 1989 and McWhitney in 88. Even in 1934, a historian named Barrowley argued that in much of the South, 
it was impossible to convict someone of murder if the killer had been insulted and had warned the victim of his intent to kill if the insults were not retracted or compensated. These cultural norms persist today. In 1996, Dove Cohen, Richard Nipspet, Brian Baudel, and Norby Schwartz in a study named Insult, Aggression, and the Southern Culture of Honor, an Experimental Ethnography, formed an experiment to test and measure aggression of Southerners, people from cultures of honor, versus Northerners, people not from cultures of honor. A simplified version of this study went as follows. At the University of Michigan, they recruited white males, undergrads, from the northern states and southern states for three separate studies. In the first study, participants were told it was a study on quote-unquote response times. They filled out a form, and then they had to walk down a long, narrow hallway to drop it in a box at the end of the hall. In the middle of the hall, there was a man sifting through a file cabinet while two quote-unquote students, observers, pretended to be doing homework. The unsuspecting subject would walk down the long hall, drop off his paper, and as he returned, the man sifting through the files would bump into the test subject and then call him an asshole. The students who were observers would observe the facial and emotional recognition of the test subjects. The test subject would return to the initial room and would answer a series of seemingly unrelated word association exercises. Second study involved a second set of participants. They would have their cortisol and testosterone levels tested. They walked down that same long hallway and on the way back again were bumped like in the first study. Again, they would have their cortisol and testosterone levels tested and then they would be given a chance for the insulted men in front of two other fake participants to commit to an electroshock therapy test. And in this, the researchers were looking to see how the guys from the South versus the North would respond if they would go for a higher voltage or a lower voltage after being bumped and insulted. In the final study, the men again got bumped in the same manner and then unbeknownst to them, they got set up in a game of chicken with another individual walking down a hall moments after the bump. You know that game where you drive your car or ride your bike and another person and the first person to swerve loses? That's kind of what they set up. The results? You guessed it. In this double-blind study, those from the South were more aggressive had significantly higher levels of cortisol and testosterone and swerved far later than the participants from the North. These differences weren't merely perceived attitudes, but they were manifestations in their testosterone and cortisol levels of the participants. Being insulted and dishonored has biological triggers and different reactions in those who are from cultures of honor and shame in the South and those who do not have those cultural inlays from the Northern United States. For those from the South, 
what some might consider petty or trivial offenses carry a great deal more weight for those in the honor and shame cultures. It isn't about a small matter of money or getting cut off in traffic. For this culture, it is a serious assault on his status, reputation, and masculinity. It's all on the line. And the only way to redeem himself is through a display of toughness, dominance, and aggression. Which, as you can imagine, in the southern United States where there is a honor-shame culture, this would lead to the other party also having to defend their honor And now what started as something small quickly cycles and cyclones into something much bigger quite fast. So, cycling back, back to Habib versus Connor. It all kind of makes sense. Connor is probably putting on a show, and Habib and company has to defend their honor. Even in the post-interview with Habib, he seemed quite confused as why the people were talking about the fact that he jumped the fence and assaulted a guy instead of everything that Connor did. Here's the audio. First of all, I want to say sorry to Athletic Commission, Nevada, sorry to Vegas. I know this is not my best side. You know, this is not my best side. You know, I'm human being and... uh, like, I don't understand how people can talk about I jump on the cage, you know. What about he talk about my religion, he talk about my country, he talk about my father. He come to Brooklyn and he broke bus, he almost killed a couple people. What about this? What about this? Why people talk about I jump over the cage? Why people still talk about this? Like, I don't understand. I am respect. I, my father teach me, hey, you have to be always respectful. I don't want people talk about like opponents, talk about his father, like like religion. You you cannot talk about religion, you cannot talk about nation, you know, guys, you cannot talk about this stuff. And you know, this is for me is very important. So along this line of reasoning, I can understand why some people from honor shame cultures, specifically those from the Middle East North Africa MENA region, one that is historically well-known for their honor-shame culture, would stand up and celebrate cheering Habib for standing up for his values, family, and God, his religion. I can understand why some would say Connor mocked him, his family, and his religion. He deserved it. In their world, this is apparent. It's the moral code that they live by. I will honor you so long as you honor me, but if you mock me, then the use of violence is an appropriate response that one can be proud of as it preserves their family's honor. It goes in line with an ancient Arabic proverb that goes like this, which means there is no forgiveness except by the shedding of blood. Now, not all people from this region and from honor-shame cultures would stand by or celebrate such a reckless display of immaturity by Habib. I witnessed many unequivocally condemning Habib's action and stating that it is nothing to be proud of. I even polled individuals from the Gulf and many people said that anyone who uses violence to uphold their honor has lost all honor and isn't a man. So to be clear, I am not generalizing or making a blanket statement. 
Just as America is diverse in their cultural makeup between the North and the South, the Middle East and North Africa is also diverse and differs from family to family, tribe to tribe, person to person. So why can't we just let it be? No harm, no foul. It's just his culture and we should respect him knowing that if you mock him, he'll punch you and you'll deserve it. Sure. I kind of get that line of reasoning, but here's the problem. Here's the kicker. January 7th, 2015, France. Two gunmen opened fire on the satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo, killing 12 people. Why? Because they mocked Islam. Now, vulgarly mocking a religion isn't out of the ordinary for this magazine. They are an anti-religion, anti-establishment crude and vulgar publication that made a mockery of Jesus Christ multiple times, the Pope, Buddha, every other religion, Michael Jackson, and every establishment that you can imagine or think of. And just as the men from the southern United States displayed, and just as Habib displayed, a man insulted, so crudely affronted, is expected to respond with violence to reassert himself and save face and honor in the face of public mockery. Do I think Connor was inappropriate and wrong in his mocking of Habib? Yes, I do. I believe there is no justification for a person to mock and slander and insult someone in such a manner. There's just not. Does that give Habib license for assault and battery? Never. Should I or anyone be proud that Habib stood up for what he believed by assaulting someone? I don't think so. Do I think that Charlie Hebdo publication is vulgar, abase, and is wrong with how they make a mockery of all forms of faith, government, and establishment? Yes. Does that give license for murder? Never. Should I or anyone be proud that two men if they can be even given that dignity to be called men, stood up for what they believed by slaughtering 12 people, including an injured, unarmed Muslim policeman at point-blank range on the street? Did Connor and company deserve to be assaulted by Habib and his teammates because Connor and company mocked his family and his religion? Did Charlie Hebdo and company deserve to be assaulted by two men because Islam and the prophet was mocked? Hmm, that's terrorism. I don't think so. Did the 10 people who died in Niger and the 45 churches, including schools and orphanages, which were burnt to the ground by Islamic group in response to the publication, did they deserve it? Did the 10 who had no relation to the publication at all in Niger deserve to die? Now, I don't personally know anyone or any Arab that would praise the terrorist attack in France, nor do I know anyone who would justify terrorism. But the parallel, the point, the moral of this episode is that if we justify Habib's action, then we are justifying terrorism. I can understand Habib's action. I can understand how with the adrenaline, the cortisol, the emotions, etc., I can understand how and why he snapped, jumped the fence, and assaulted someone. I can understand in a moment of anger and rage that he would lash out like that. 
but understanding why he acted does not give him license or justification to act in that manner. Understanding and saying, I get it. I might have snapped too, but I would be completely and utterly wrong and utterly ashamed by doing so is far different than saying, I get why he snapped. I might have done the same thing too, and I would have been justified. If, as a society, we praise Habib's assault of Connor, then we are sowing the very seeds of terrorism in our culture that would perpetuate the cycle of violence and terror and revenge that inflicts the globe today. We will sow these seeds into our children's and our grandchildren's lives. So then, what is the answer? What do we do? We can't expect to be able to change a culture overnight or through one short podcast. We can't expect to be able to go to the southern United States and reshape an entire cultural identity. It would be foolish to think that we could hop on a flight to Japan and eradicate honor suicides. That's not what I'm suggesting. So what can we do? What do we have the power to shape? What is within our abilities to own our futures? To live our lives counter to the cycle of revenge and violence that seems to be present wherever we look. Two things. The first, forgive. The power of forgiveness is the only answer to being insulted and dishonored. Like Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King, and Jesus, they all taught us that we should forgive and not return violence with violence or curses with curses. But when we are cursed, we should bless others. And when we are insulted, we should forgive. Forgiveness is the only, the only weapon that we as individuals and a society have against racism, violence, oppression, and mockery. Forgiveness is the only way to save face and uphold our names. Number two, teach our children a different way. Parent differently. You know, they say that bullied children bully, meaning that children learn bullying from somewhere in their life, and it's normally in the home. If we can parent our children differently, if we can raise our children in a way that undermines the insult-aggression cycle, if we can do that, we can truly own our futures. We can truly give our children and our grandchildren a better world, a world that we can only dream of. Together, drop by drop and seed by seed, little by little. Together, we can own the future. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Just so you know, I put an enormous amount of time researching, studying, looking up journals to make sure that this episode was spot on. And I would love your feedback, both positive, negative. If you hate it, if you disagree with it, I don't care. I want to hear from you. Till next time, remember, own your story and you'll own the future.